Give me just a second to pull this up. We are in a series here on Sunday morning that I've, en- I've entitled Put Away the Toys. It's a series about uh, growing up in our faith and actually putting into practice those things that we say we believe. I mean, we as Christians are really good about um, saying we believe certain things, but then um, not living them out or putting them into practice. Or we live them out when everything is going okay in our lives, but the moment things get a little difficult, um, you know, we, we say, that, no, those are just, don't give me cliche phrases. I need something that's real. And I think we had an amazing picture of that over these last few weeks as we watched uh, Pastor John and Heather again walk through such a, t- a tragic time, but model for us the type of faith as believers that we should have all the time whether it's a minor inconvenience or a major uh, obstacle in our lives, there is a faith that comes from God. Not a faith that you have to work up, but a faith that comes from God if you'll look to him in that moment. I mean, you can either in that moment choose to let your emotions take over and rant and rave and criticize and complain and anger and all of this, or you can just fix your gaze on him and say, God, you need to give me the strength I need because I can't do this in my own strength, and he comes through. That was obvious this week, and um, this, as we continue in this journey uh, called Perseverance, uh, looking at, uh, uh, again, using a book that Eugene Peterson wrote called Perseverance, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and working our way through the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and the Psalms of Ascent, for those of you maybe that haven't been with us in every service, are just songs that the, the believers, the pilgrims, the Israelites would sing as they made their way from wherever they lived in Jerusalem, or excuse me, in Israel, to Jerusalem where God lived. That's where God lived. He was in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, God doesn't live in a place. He lives in his people. So everywhere we go, there is God. Amen? And so, but these are the songs that they would sing on that journey. And so I don't know if you've ever sat around a campfire or anything or, uh, you know, traveled anywhere in a car and there's songs as a family that you sang. Uh, Maybe some of them glorified God. Maybe some were just stupid, silly songs that you sang. But you get the point. This is what they would do uh, because they were preparing themselves to get to Jerusalem. They were preparing themselves to meet with God and each of these songs reminded them of who God is and who they are as the people of God. And so that's what they've been doing for us. They're reminding us who we are and saying, you know what, it's time to grow up. As we ascend to where God is, as we are on a pilgrimage ultimately to heaven where God is, okay, we are on that journey but yet he's with us right now on that journey. And we are singing these same psalms on that way and we're growing up, we're repenting, we're trusting, we're worshiping, we're serving, we're helping, we're, we're living in security, there's joy, uh, we're working. And then today, we're gonna look at part 10 as we get to Psalm 128, and today's psalm is called Happiness. Happiness. The elusive happiness. You know, there are many psychological books Studies done by psychologists and psychiatrists about happiness. That's what we all want, right? We want to be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. As if I can just choose it. As if, I mean, that song makes it sound like 
don't worry, be happy. And we would argue with that and say, well, I can't be happy because of fill in the blank. But psychologists are writing books and doing studies and articles, and you know what they tell us? Happiness is a choice. It's a choice. Happy people agree with that. Unhappy people generally do not. Unhappy people believe that for me to be happy, my feelings have to change. My circumstances have to change. I cannot be happy. And some of it is a misunderstanding of what it means to be happy. And we'll try to talk through that as we go. But Psalm 128, I think, points us in this direction of happy. And so from the message Bible that Eugene Peterson translated, he writes these words. All you who fear God, how blessed you are. How happily you walk on his smooth, straight road. You worked hard and deserve all you've got coming. Enjoy the blessing. Revel in the goodness. Your wife will bear children as a vine bears grapes. Your household lush as a vineyard. The children around your table as fresh and promising as young olive shoots. Stand in awe of God. Yes. Oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. Enjoy the good life in Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because that's where God's presence is. So we don't have to go to Jerusalem to enjoy the good life. We can enjoy it wherever God's presence is. It's in me. That's the key part of this psalm. If you hear nothing else I say, understand that we can enjoy the good life in Jerusalem because God has put his spirit in us. So the good life follows us all the days of our lives. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell again in the house of the Lord forever. That's the truth. And enjoy your grandchildren. <laughs> Probably a lot of reasons he says enjoy your grandchildren and not children. <laughs> Probably because grandchildren I've heard are much more enjoyable than your own children. Um, but, there are, but there are times and circumstances in our lives where, uh, you know, we understand that. We understand that when you're parenting, there's a whole lot more responsibility and day-to-day -day grind, and so it's easier to enjoy your grandchildren. But it also speaks of heritage and the past. And so even as, you know, older people in this congregation who have fought and grown and served in this body for a long time, you know what the Lord would say to you? Enjoy your grandchildren. I mean, step back for a minute and look at all of the young people in this room and in this church and the ministry that they're doing and the things that they're a part of and revel in God's goodness because they can only do that because of what you've already done. And it's like you get to enjoy your grandchildren. So we hear a lot these days about how difficult it is to be a Christian, right? I mean, the world is against us and everything's against us, but in all honesty, I think it's a non-Christian who has it a lot more hard than we do because I, don't, I cannot imagine what it is like to face tragedy and difficulty without the hope of Christ. Uh, Heather is, we were in the hospital this week and uh, little Judah was, last week, I guess it was, all the days have just run together. Uh, is it Sunday? Um, 
as we were with her and we had to walk away from the room because they needed to change some things and his blood pressure was dropping and things were just not going well, um, she, she paused and thought, you know, without the hope of Christ, I could never walk away from that room. Like you can't imagine people who don't have hope being able to, to walk through something like that. So as difficult as it is to be a Christian, and I know I've read about ISIS, I see ISIS, I just don't focus on ISIS because I focus on Jesus who is empowering Christians who are facing ISIS to overcome. And if all we do is focus on ISIS, fear just grows in our hearts and when ISIS comes here, we won't be ready for them. So focus on Jesus a whole lot more than you do CNN. Sidebar, I really need to focus. Um, the psalm, Psalm 128, I think teaches us uh, what it is to have a blessed life. The psalm starts with three promises. It says, all you who fear God, how blessed you are, that's a promise. You deserve all you've got coming, promise. Enjoy the blessing, revel in the goodness, promise. Then the psalm ends with three more what, pronouncements or statements. Oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. Enjoy the good life in Jerusalem. Enjoy your grandchildren. And so these three blessings and these three blessings and then sandwiched in the middle of it is an illustration. And that illustration is your wife will bear children as a vine bears grapes. Your household will be as lush as a vineyard and your children around your table will be as fresh and promising as young olive shoots. And so these three, these three, this blessing or this example, all of it adds up to the good life, the blessed life and what it means. And the scripture, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, all the Bible is, is a, a teaching, an exposition, an explaining, if you will, of this good life, how it works out. If you go all the way back to Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created the earth and he called it good. And at the end of all of this creation, he created mankind, man and woman, male and female, and he blessed them. The blessing starts right there. And then we move on to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God is starting to create now out of all mankind a people for himself to be separate from all mankind, a people who will call on him and look to him and wear his name and be who he is, to be those people who can introduce people who don't know God to him. And he starts with Abraham and he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you may be a blessing. I will not make your name great so your name will be great. I will not make your name great so that you'll feel good about yourself. I will not make your name great so that you will have more than enough to live on and your children and grandchildren. I will make your name great so that you will in turn be a blessing to others. That's the whole purpose. And that gets lost somewhere in our teaching today of, you know, God just wants to bless you and bless you and bless. He wants to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And if you will not choose to be a blessing, you will stop up his blessing. Because if he continues to bless you when you will not be a blessing, you will become a spoiled brat. You will be the toddler in the grocery store. I just want it. And God's not interested in having that, bearing his name, walking all around the earth as these whining, criticizing, complaining folks. He wants us to be a blessing. 
And so he will bless us to do that. In Genesis 49, as Abraham's family grows and he's got these 12 sons that God now blesses. And every single one of them who become later the 12 tribes of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament, they, they each get a special blessing. And then David, King David, who is the king forever over God's kingdom. Jesus comes from the line of David. And so he is our forever king as David. And God says to David, I'm gonna bless you more than any other Israelite. And God says so much blessing to David that David actually says back to God, who am I and what is my family that you would do this for me and to me? But because David was a man after God's own heart and David wasn't just consumed with keeping for himself. God knew he could bless him. Because David knew what it was to be a blessing. Did he do it perfectly? Absolutely not. All the mistakes are written in there for us to see. He was just like us. But it's possible for God to want to bless us in that exact same way if we will also be men and women after his heart, just like David. Jesus then in the Sermon on the Mount identifies for us eight qualities that should be in our lives, the life of faith, and he starts each one with the word blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And he, he outlines those. Revelation gives us seven different blessings from chapter one all the way through chapter 22. Seven different times the people of God are blessed in Revelation. In the book that talks about how terrible it will be in the last days, seven times we're promised blessing. So why do we focus so much on the bad that's coming? Because that's human nature. God has unpacked this story of blessing in the lives of men and women throughout the scripture. How do you experience this blessing? But what we come to realize is this blessing is not something external or something temporary. It's not a matter of just having a good day or a couple good days strung together or having an occasional run of good luck. This blessing is much more than that. It's a strength in our inner soul. This happiness does not come from without. It comes from within. The illustration in the middle of this psalm tells us how the blessing works. Your wife bears children as a vine bears grapes. Your household as lush as a vineyard. Children around your table as fresh and promising as young olive shoots. And this illustration is conditioned for us by the Hebrew culture. This makes sense to them. Doesn't necessarily make sense to us in our culture. And so we have to apply it to our culture because as this is an illustration for us, it's not the only blessed life. In other words, we don't look at this and say, well, if I don't have a wife, I can't be blessed. That would be a false interpretation. So if you don't have a spouse thinking you can't be blessed is false. That's not what this passage is saying. If I don't have children, I can't be blessed. If one of my children dies young, I'm not blessed. That is not in any way. But in the Hebrew culture, this was the ideology. That if you are blessed, you have a a good wife, and she bears you lots of good children, especially sons, and they grow old around your table. And that's, that's the blessed life, and that's the illustration. But what we have to understand is this illustration, the meaning of it, is really about increase. It's about sharing and it's about multiplying. And so it doesn't matter whether I have a spouse or no spouse or children or no children, it's about whether there's increase happening in my life. It's about whether or not that there is sharing taking place in my life, whether there's multiplying taking place in my life. And the world, 
uh, has a way of attaining this happiness that we're looking for one way, and God has a different way. And the world's way is that my happiness depends on me taking from someone else to make me happy. In other, for one person to be happy, I have to take from another to make that person happy. If my standard of living is going to increase and that's going to make me happy, I mean, if I have a nicer house, I'm gonna be happy. If I have a nicer car, I'm gonna be happy. If I have this or that, I'm gonna be happy. And in order to get to that level of happiness, I gotta take from someone else. I mean, I can't, I mean, both of us can't be happy at the same time. I mean, in God's standard, two people can be blessed equally, but in the world standard, it can't. And so what we have around us is poverty. All around the world, we have hunger, and we look at these images, we've become so immune to the images of children starving around the world. But can I tell you, we do not have a production problem. We have the ability to produce way more food than this world needs. I mean, it's not a production problem. It's not a transportation problem. We have the capacity and the resources, the finances, to take food everywhere in in the world. It's not a transportation problem. Excuse me. The problem that we have is a greed problem. If I'm going to be happy, I got to take while I can take. I mean, I got to store while I can store. I mean... I can't let go of some, I mean, I, if, I'm sorry, if I give this to you to make you happy, I won't be happy. And so we have a world in crisis. And if the world would understand what it really takes to get happiness, there wouldn't be poverty. The government is not going to stop poverty. A complete paradigm shift of what happiness is, is going to stop poverty. And that only comes through the kingdom. So don't go and try to convince people in the world how to be happy, because you can only be happy when Christ lives in you, truly happy. So the disciple of Christ learns that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We learn to give, we learn to share, and as we do, our happiness increases. And the people around us that we share with, that we increase with, we multiply with, all of a sudden they become our fruitful vines and olive shoots. That's the example. And nowhere in the scripture does this blessing that is promised to us exclude us from difficulty. Nowhere in the scripture will you find passages to support this idea that if I'm going to live a happy, blessed life, I will not have problems. If Paul and Silas can sing in the middle of prison, They have got a better understanding of happiness than you and I maybe have. We are going to face temptations and seductions and pressures from the flesh, from the world, and from the enemy. We are in a constant battle. There is a fight of faith that has to be waged in order for us to walk in happiness. And this psalm begins to teach us how to travel the road to happiness. This is not a trick. This is not some type of luck that you need to just fall onto this path of happiness, we become disciples of Christ and then we just start walking the life of faith. We acknowledge that God is the maker of the universe. He's at the center of everything. We believe that he constructed our world and he set up its laws and we look to him because he's given us redemption and we try to find out how all this works and then we walk it out. The psalm says in the very plain words, all you who fear God how blessed you are, how happily you walk on his smooth, straight 
wrote, fear God. A better word for that might be reverence God. Stand in awe of God. See, the Bible is not concerned that you and I believe there is a God. The demons believe there's a God and it doesn't help them a whole lot. What God is concerned more with is our response to him. How we respond in response to his revelation of who he is. And the question is, are we gonna let God be as he is? God is majestic, he is holy, he is vast, he's wondrous. And as human beings, we constantly try to bring him down to the size of our small minds. We constantly try to put him in parameters that we can get a good handle on. And the scripture constantly says, don't try to confine God into that. He talks about the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is to bring us to attention at the overwhelming grandeur of the God we serve. He is beyond us. Stand in awe of who he is. He can take something tragic and bring life out of it. That's the God we serve. Fear him, be in awe of him. And then he says, walk the smooth, straight road. So not only do we have to come to to know who God is and really let him be who he is, but we have to start doing the things for which he made us. We have to take a certain route. We have to follow certain directions. We have to do specified things. We have to follow certain ethical standards. We have to follow moral values and foster them in our lives. There are spiritual disciplines that we have to start practicing. There's social injustice that we have to start to pursue. And we are to develop personal relationships with others and with this God that we serve. And this is the way of happiness. Because of the fallen nature of our world and because of the fallen nature of our lives, we will not do any of that perfectly. It will be impossible for us to to follow this path perfectly and never stumble and fall, even though it is a smooth, straight road. But what the psalmist is saying is just start walking. It's a very plain road. Smooth, straight road does not mean easy and not difficult. It just means Plain and simple. The will of God is not hard to find. You just have to start walking in it. Our problem is, I want the will of God for over here, and I'm right here. And so I pray, God, what's your will over here? And God's like, my will is you to do this, just obey me right here. Obey me right here. I'll I'll give you this one when we get there, but today, just do this one. Obey me here. And we walk in disobedience to the strict command of God. God says, here's how I want you to do things. Do it my way. And we're like, no, God, I know a better way. That's an old way. That that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to do it my way. But God, what's your will over here? It's a smooth, plain road. You just start obeying God and he will take care of you. The song we sang today, Counting on God, says give me just enough strength to live for today. I used to, I literally didn't like that song because I I don't like that phrase. I'm like, I don't want just enough strength to live for today. I mean, I want strength for all the days. But today as we sang that song, it clicked in my head finally because I'm thicker than some of you. But what God is saying is I'm gonna give you strength for today and tomorrow, strength for tomorrow. Just like he fed the Israelites in the desert with manna 
He said, collect just enough for today. We say, God, give me strength for all of these days so that we can what? Go off and do it on our own and not trust him tomorrow? God, give me enough for three days so I don't have to pray again. Give me enough for three days so I can, you know, just make it through, so I can know I'm gonna make it. And God says, no, I want you to just ask me for strength for today so that you walk with me and trust me today. And trust me, I'm gonna give you that one when you get there. Just trust me today. Because this is where happiness lies. Psalm 40, verse eight says, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for my instructions are written, your instructions are written on my heart. The law of God, the commands of God, how he has established this universe. See, when he established the universe, God put an order to it. There are natural laws that are in force. I don't care if you believe in gravity or not. It's a law. And so you can sit here all day and say, I don't believe in gravity. Go for it. If you jump off the top of this church, you will find out gravity exists. And no amount of believing that gravity doesn't exist is going to help you. And you will come down hard. God has set laws in our hearts. And when we live in a way that goes against the grain of what God says, we wonder why we get splinters because his laws are written on our hearts. You cannot be happy and find true and lasting happiness going against the grain of what God has put in our hearts. And he's revealed it to us. He showed us, okay, you have absolutely no ability to live up to my laws. I get it because of your fallen nature, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna send my son. He's gonna die on a cross. He's gonna pay the penalty for your sin once and for all. Then he's gonna come back to me. He's gonna sit beside me. He's gonna intercede on your behalf. He's gonna send his spirit to live in you and empower you to do these things so that happiness will flow out of you and not be dependent on what's around you. To be happy or blessed in the scripture, it's the same word. Blessed means happy in the scripture. It means characterized by happiness, being in a highly favored state, if you will, as by divine grace. Happiness is not an emotion and it's not a feeling, it's not being giddy. It differs from joy. Happiness is contentment. It's the ability to enjoy my life no matter the circumstances. It means when my world is falling apart, I can sit on the floor and play Candyland with my children. I can be happy. All around me, there's a storm. It's like we're on this rock that we saw earlier playing Candyland. And some... Some believers, when they walk through hard times, all they can talk about is their hard time. All they can think about is their hard time. And they go to the Lord and they cry out to the Lord and they can't enjoy a moment of their lives until that thing changes. I wonder if that thing will ever change because God would rather us learn that your happiness is so not dependent upon what's happening around you, but your confidence and trust in me. Now, will you cry? Absolutely. Will you be sad? Absolutely. Will you have, I mean, you're not gonna, it's not gonna be silly string all day, every day, okay? But there's gonna be an ability to enjoy your life. And if you don't have that, you have yet to find hope, hope, in Christ. I'm not saying you're not saved. 
but you have yet to truly discover hope in Christ. Happiness in the Psalms teaches us it comes from God. Who am I of heaven but you? I desire you more than anything. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart forever. He is mine. In the Proverbs, it teaches us. This is wisdom. Wisdom will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her or put into practice. If you don't want to take God's wisdom and do what God says and live your life according to what God says is right, then you're going to get splinters. Okay? And you're going to you're please don't blame him. Don't blame God for what's going wrong in your life if you're not going to order your steps after what he's asked us to do. We derive our happiness from the fear of God. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, who follow in his ways. Proverbs says, blessed, there's that word again, are those who fear to do wrong, but the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. We get it from obedience to God. We already read Psalm 40, verse eight. These laws are written in our hearts. John 13, 17, Jesus says to his disciples, you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. See, you're not blessed for going to church and learning all about God. That's not where happiness comes from. That's not where blessing comes from. It comes from doing it. If, you don't, if we don't leave here today doing something different, thinking differently, we're not going to find happiness, blessing. Something has to change. It comes from salvation. Deuteronomy 33, how blessed you are, O Israel. Who else is like you, a people saved by the Lord? I mean, no matter what happens to us, our eternity is set in the hands of God. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your trust in God. God has come to save me, Isaiah. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. I can't sing. I'm so sad. Love the testimony Heather shared at the funeral about how in that moment when you know, Heather and John, this last week, went just back and forth. When one was weak, one was strong, and when one was strong, one was weak. And as he started to sing in that moment, and she said she couldn't even form words until that she just forced herself to form those words and to praise God, knowing that our happiness is in him. With joy, you drink deeply from the, the fountain of salvation. Suffering for Christ produces Happiness, that is the silliest thing I have ever heard, Haven't, uh, isn't it? I mean, admit it. I mean, let's not be phony before God. Let's say, God, that is the silliest thing we've ever heard. Ain't nobody on this planet that would think, hey, I want to suffer so I can be happier. <laughs> and yet, all around the world, Christians who are suffering in third world countries who are in fear of losing their heads physically have more happiness and joy than the American church. How do you explain that? Because our happiness is dependent on what I have.
I know, this is so mind-blowing. This is like a complete paradigm shift of what happiness is all about because it's not a feeling and it's not about my circumstances. It's so internal. And please, this is not a weird create-your-own-reality theology that I'm trying to pour on you. This is, this is the truth, though. Happiness has to come from within as long as it comes from him. It doesn't come from me. I don't create my own reality. I just walk in the reality of God who is bigger than my circumstance. Too many times we want to fixate on our problems or our trials and then we can't enjoy life. That's why we hop from church to church to church to church to find a church that makes us happy. You won't find it. If you're not happy already, if you ain't happy in the church you're in, you won't be happy in another one. I mean, believe the lie if you want. If there's not immorality or sin in that church happening, you're not going to be happy. I know we all think if we did a different program or sang a different song or preached different sermons that we would be happier, but we wouldn't. We wouldn't. Our happiness is not dependent on what's going on out here. That's why we hop from relationship to relationship and marriage to marriage. And yet statistically, once you divorce once, you are statistically three times more likely to divorce again because happiness does not come from your spouse. My wife's job is not to make me happy. She cannot succeed in that. I have to choose to be happy in my marriage. It's not up to her. And I'm not responsible for her happiness. And I'll die trying to make her happy. Now, I will do things because I love her, but I'm not, it, the end result isn't happiness. I can't give her that. And yet we're waiting for our spouse to make us happy. We jump from job to job to job to job. If I, well, if I just found something that would, if you can't be happy where you are, you won't be happy somewhere else. And the sooner we learn that, the sooner God can move us around and put us in different spots and, and really unlock things in our lives. But if we refuse to believe this, it won't happen. We keep jumping from house to house because this house will make me happy or this vacation will make me happy or this will this. It won't. There won't be an iPhone out there that will make you happy. It can be iPhone 7 billion and 6. See, And what we do is we criticize and complain. And you know why the Bible says stop, stop complaining, stop criticizing? You know why it says that? Because when we live that way, our happiness depends on our circumstance. And you build your life, life on something so faulty. And so if you, all you're gonna do is criticize your spouse and complain about your spouse and how, how they are and how they behave and why your marriage isn't working, you will not be happy. Please do not come to me for counseling because I cannot make you happy. Until you say, I'm gonna choose to be happy in this, then you come see me and I'll help you do things better in your relationship. Because there are things that we do in our relationships that are destructive, okay? And so we have to change how we treat each other. We have to change how we talk to each other. I mean, all of these things have to change. We work on our marriages. They don't just happen, okay? Uh, for those of you that watch other people and think, man, how do they do it? They work hard, okay? They don't say things that they feel like they want to say but shouldn't. They apologize often. 
I mean, that's the kind of thing that take, makes a marriage work. But you gotta be happy first. All relationships are this way. All of our jobs are this way. Our city is this way. Please do not tell me, I am so guilty of this, forgive me, Lord. I can be happy here without a Starbucks. I can. And I need to stop ever saying anything differently. Just make my own. Create my own little happiness. <laughs> but do you see how easy this is? We complain about our city and we wonder. And then we pray, God, please bless our city. Why? You're not happy there. Why should I bless it? God, we love our city. We love our, our, our neighbors. We love our, 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 our teachers and our schools. And we love them. Bless them. Are they perfect? No. Is there a right way to handle when you disagree with a mayor or a teacher or somebody? Yep. But you better get happy in it. Because if you think that teacher, oh, if, that, if my child's teacher just treated them differently, I'd be happy. <laughs> you see how the enemy does this? And it's just, it's all lies. So we've got to stop focusing on what's outside of us. The only thing that needs to change today for me to be happy is me. My focus, my perspective, it all depends on, well, it depends on him. But it depends on me cooperating with him. I have to live in the fear of the Lord. I have to live in awe of God, knowing that he is so bigger than, than I ever will understand. I have to realize that my happiness doesn't come from someone else. My happiness doesn't come from an event. It doesn't come from a store. It doesn't come from a circumstance. If you're on Hadam Mall, I wouldn't be any happier today than I need to be right now. I stay on the smooth, straight road because the path of God is simple and it's not hard to find. It doesn't, it's not out there somewhere. We just have to stick with it. We just have to do what's <clears throat> what's right, what he wants us to do. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when we look at it and think that's the silliest thing I've ever heard, and even when it doesn't produce the results we want it to produce fast enough. Can I, that is, that's a key, and I'm gonna I'm leave you with this one. It, it doesn't happen overnight. You are, I'm not gonna pray a prayer over you today, and happiness is just gonna fall out of heaven into your heart. You're, this week may be harder than last week. It may. The week I preached on joy was the week Pastor John and Heather started their journey. And they said, you know how many times we went back to things that you said and deposited and we just clung to it with all our might. And so don't think that I'm preaching on happiness today so, woo, everything's about to change. It is on the inside of us. On the inside of us. Now, I, that doesn't mean everything's going to get bad. It doesn't have to. In fact, if we just start getting happy in Jesus, stop complaining and criticizing and pointing the finger, maybe some of the bad stuff that was bound to come might just take a left turn and go somewhere else. Who knows? And so, Father, <clears throat> help us to press on on that smooth and plain road. Thank you that you have set before us today a path of life and death, of blessing and cursing. Help us today to choose life. Help us to choose 
the path of blessing, that smooth, straight road. And God, we know right now we're going to trip, we're going to fall, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to take wrong turns, but we're going to stay on that path. We're going to be obedient to you and to your word. We're going to stop looking outside of ourselves to find our happiness and contentment. We're going to find it right where you put us, right where we are. God, the job that we're in right now is not beyond your grasp. You see it. And we're going to find happiness and contentment in the middle of it. Even while we may be praying for something else. God, we're going to find contentment in whatever lot we're in. Even while we pray for healing and believe and trust you for that. God, we're going to find happiness in this moment. No matter what, we are going to walk this smooth, straight road. And we commit ourselves to it and we cry out for your help. We need your grace. Our ability to do this depends upon you from start to finish. So thank you today for using your spirit and your word to point us in that direction. Now teach us to stay on that path and that course and that road and not turn to the right and not turn to the left, but to trust you. we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalmist says, receive all God has promised. Revel in his goodness. Let that be what we do this week. Receive his goodness and receive his always promised. Revel in his goodness. God bless you as you go today. Jesus died, the rest